everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind. Myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville, and Tom Sandwich. Tom Sandwich? Tom, Tom Savage. Tom Sandwich. <laughs> Which, yeah. I like that. We're off to, Sandwich. We are off to a flyer. <laughs> this is a podcast focused on, no, not food. It's all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So, Tom, we'll go to you first then, seeing as I'm talking about food. What's what's your week been like? I found myself being consistently pressed in between two slices of bread all week. No idea how it's fucking happening. Just keeps happening. I don't know. Other than that, grand. Grand. Shaved my head today. I made a, made a bit of a bollocks of the back of it. I've just realized now, as I was doing there, I rubbed my head there a second ago. I was just like, is that a strip of hair back there? I've been outside today. So... There you go. Sort of a, a semi mohawk at the back, is it? Yeah, yeah. Just kind of a kind of a half stole one. It's, it's a little Easter egg for anybody sitting behind me in the Q and Spar. It's just like, what's that guy doing? <laughs> Jeff, what about your week? Um, week has been very unspectacular, to be honest with you. Um, I've no news. I had an experience, but I've no news, if you know what I mean. Uh, went in to get a coffee there yesterday and while I was getting the coffee, you know, you're just kind of standing there waiting, you're kind of looking around you. There was someone getting served their lunch and their phone in one hand, they're on their own, the phone in one hand as kind of people would do like kind of whatever, scrolling away, whatever. But they got chips with their lunch and they picked up a fistful of chips and ate them like it was an apple. And it's something that I have been replaying now in my mind since yesterday. And it's something that I feel kind of unhappy that it had to happen to me you know, that I had to be the one to see that. Um, so it was very strange. It's, it's how I would imagine, like if a horse had hands, it's how I'd imagine they'd eat chips, to be honest with you. And like this image has been staying with me all day and it's been, or since yesterday, I should say, um, something I can't really get past, to be honest with you. So there, yeah, you I asked. Like, so there. I knew a guy in when I was living in Dublin who used to keep a boiled spud in his pocket and he would eat it like an apple during the day. Is he in jail? Skin, skin and all. He's I wonder if that's the. I wonder if that's the same person that was eating a handful. Of all, he's progressed onto <laughs> chips. <laughs> Thomas Friend is definitely in jail. Did he have a bag of, did, did Did he have a bang of sadness off him? No, like I'm not saying was it was him or her. That's the game changer. Um, mm. it was just very strange. It like, was Brian O'Driscoll. Do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> do you know the way? Like, if you're eating <laughs> chips. You'd like pick them up with your fingers. Like for anyone who's listening, I'm actually doing the actions. I know you can't see it, but like you'd pick them up with your fingers and put them into your other pan and then like eat them one by one, almost like you would potatoes or something. You wouldn't just leave it like as a ball of chips and just eat it like an apple. It was just, yeah. Tom or okay. Owen, how are you? Unhinged. Couldn't be up to fucking I, Dublin, I swear. Well, I'm not too bad. I came up with, well, I was actually at my daughter's um football match on saturday and it was lashing rain and i felt like you know the the simpsons episode where homer doesn't go to uh, church and he said yes. he sits at home you know i am so smart smrt sort of thing i felt like that on saturday it was lashing rain like little nine-year-old girls running around playing soccer some of them on the sideline of subs and all this and going on some of the chill are some of the adults outside standing on standing on the sideline getting absolutely soaked driving rain coming down and I said, no, screw this. So I drove the car up to the edge of the pitch where the car park was. I didn't drive onto the grass now or anything. And I had the engine on, heater on, wind, I had the windscreen on. 
windscreen wipers on so I could watch it clearly. And I sat in the car with um, one of the neighbours in the car next to me. And I actually dialed him on the car so we could talk about the match and catch up while watching the, the girls run around in the pouring rain. And I felt like Homer Simpson just sitting there now. I'm like, I'm SMRT. And that's where I'm getting my parents smarter, not harder. And when your when your daughter scored, did you just kind of flash the lights at her? Like I'm being honked the horn, being honked the horn. Oh god! You gotta give the enthusiasm back into it, you know. I remember we had a game in college, and the weather was like that. And Johnny O'Connor was our coach at the time. Didn't see him for the half half time. I saw him get out of his car to come over to talk to us, and then just get back into his car for the second half. <laughs> so Johnny, like Razzy with the disco lights. If I indicate left, yeah, I yeah. want you to put it through the hands. <laughs> So, Johnny, if you're listening, I still remember that. <laughs> okay, and moving on. Thanks to everyone who entered the competition as there was a huge response. And congratulations to Megan Hoey, who is the winner of a signed Ulster jersey, courtesy of the fantastic people at United Rugby. Hashtag URC is the best league. Megan will be in, in touch with you via email to sort out the details. Um, this week's competition is to win a bro ball, which is kindly sponsored by our very close friends at the Loosehead. Uh, Jeff has kindly donated this prize to help with your passing. So send in your favourite quote of the episode to provincialstateofmind at gmail.com. Currently leading, I'd imagine, is Tom Sandwich. But we'll uh, we'll move on from that. Well, if, um, if their favourite quote's not me, they're not getting the prize. I don't care. <laughs> it's that simple. Like, pick Tom, pick Owen, you lose. Oh, like, by the way. I, I, I saw there the other day, somebody on my Discord sent me a link of some Welsh rugby Twitter guy saying that URC equals best league was cringe. I'll take that. It was what mindless cheerleading of the URC and it wasn't right. It's not right. It's a terrible league where teams clearly aren't doing well and struggling in the Six Nations as a result. I mean, Ireland, what? Ireland have only yeah. won what, like... Every game, bar France, you know, Ireland packed full of URC players and stinking the place out, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible league. Shock. Do you know what? Why are you even listening to this podcast? I'd prefer We're to talking to about a, a terrible league. Prefer to listen to a podcast where I could drive to it and drive home, if you know what I mean, all in the one country. It makes more sense for me. I can just leave when I want. And do you know what? We should talk about the Gallagher Premiership more because then some away listeners would come in and make money for us. Genius. I think I think we should actually talk about the championship rather than the Gallagher Premiership. Actually, yeah, we don't want to set our sights too high. I'd be happy yeah. if this podcast joined the championship and stayed there for five, six years and eventually made its way up into premiership status. And to be honest, if, if, if we, they allowed it, because they, yeah, they don't have promotion. In fairness, if, if we burn ourselves to the ground, the English will surely come to save us. I mean, surely. Definitely. It's, like, I, I don't see any fault in this plan. And I'm sure they'd want to share their resources and money with us too, having, us having done absolutely nothing for them in the past. Can't, I, can't, I can't see an issue with this. This is a perfect plan. We, yeah. I, can't believe, I can't believe no one thought of this before. This, this is how we're going to expand our listenership. It's bound to... Bound that's to where, that's how we're going to get that little money. So yes, the little pretzels. That little should, money. Should we just stop recording now then and just... Save it for the premiership. Yeah, I, well. I, 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 do you know what? There's a soccer match on downstairs. I could go watch that. I might just transition over to soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, take hold of this before. We go. <laughs> 
soccer PM. Yeah, no, we'll move away from that. Uh, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll move on to the Ulster versus Leinster game. So that was uh, Friday night, Ulster beat Leinster 18-13 in a windswept and rain-soaked Kingspan. Uh, tries from Sam Carter and Mike Larry, as well as eight points from the boot of Nathan Doker, enough to see Ulster through and do the double over Leinster for the first time since 2013. Um, Max Deegan was Leinster's sole try scorer with Ross Byrne scoring the other points. Jeff, what did you make of the game? Um, are we talking about this from an Ulster or a Leinster perspective? Let's start Ulster. Um, I thought it was very good, to be honest with you. Um, and looking... If, if we just take the two tries Leinster scored in the first half uh, and just literally focus on them for a minute, I think it's exactly what we said Ulster had to do in order to get the beat in a Leinster. They kept working around the corner. Uh, the first one came off a line-out, and I believe Andrew carried off the back of the mall, and I mean, what a carry that was. Um, sat someone down and then shrugged off the second tackler, and that kind of set the platform, and then it was just round the corner, round the corner, over and over. Just really good work rate and really good physicality. Um, second try then, uh, Balakoon offloaded, I think, to Lowry for the second one. But again, um, it came off around the corner, around the corner to begin with, and then they just went wide. So that work rate was really good. Uh, a couple of big moments, though, and I know like tries win games and stuff like that, don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of big moments I felt as well. Um, in the 52nd minute, uh, Leinster were only losing by five, and they had a, a line out in Ulster's five-metre line. And Ulster got up and stole it. I felt that was a big kind of momentum shift. Um, and then again in the 78th minute, um, you know, game still pretty much in the balance. It was Stewart. He joins a rookie, still on his feet and everything like that for Ulster. Uh, and just as Ulster, or just as Leinster go to play it, he just forces a knock on. He just gets his hand in there. And that's another big moment because it gives possession back to, to Ulster with the game almost finished. So a couple of big moments, a couple of big players. Uh, Nick Timoney, 26 tackles. Outrageous. I felt Lowry was unbelievable. Um, very busy night. Two breaks, three defenders beaten, 124 metres, a couple of offloads. Um, he was excellent as well. Balakun was very, very good. And just when I went on to the URC page today, just to kind of double check a couple of things, it has um, Doak listed as 6'10". I didn't know he was that tall, is he? He's hardly 6'10". He gave up a promising NBA career to play fullback that, for Ulster. That's almost as big as Jacob Stockdale. That's Lowry, but Doak like is is named like at six ten on the URC list. I, he's hardly six ten. He's definitely not, is he? No, I I saw a guy who's he? Che Mullins was listed for a while in the IRFU website as being five foot two and weighing one hundred and fourteen <laughs> kg. <laughs> okay, we'll put it down as a mistake. But geez, I tell you, he played. He, he looks 6'10 playing the game. He had a fantastic game now as well. Um, but overall, from Ulster, like we said last week, they had to be very, very physical from the off. And they were. Their tries came as a result of their physicality. Um, and it's just, again, people are probably sick of us saying this, but it was just another occasion of get it done. Yeah, I thought they met Leinster's physicality and sort of on the game line quite well, particularly in the second half, where you know there, there wasn't an awful lot of ha- happening in terms of scoring opportunities and look a lot of that was down to the the conditions but I thought probably one of the biggest things was even though it was it wasn't necessarily disrupted Ulster didn't have the the line out mall as a platform to launch from their line out was still solid but they weren't able to get the mall going forward Um, but they were able to as you said Jeff they were able to get the, the players coming around the corner and reload quite quickly 
before the Leinster defence could set. And I think that that overall um, was very good. Um, Tom, what did you make of Ulster's performance? Uh, pretty much in line with you're saying there, I think like the uptink, uh, uptick in Ulster's physicality um, this season has been very, very impressive. I think Dwayne Vermeulen adds to that as well. But I think they've also addressed elements of their issue at halfback. Well, a, a, a perceived issue at halfback that I had of them before the season started. And I think uh, young Nathan Doak um, was the is, has been a big difference maker for them. Even very, I mean, there's a reason why he got a four year contract. He's a very, very special looking player, and I think he's added a lot to them, which you might not expect from a guy as young. Um, but he's done really, really well for them this season. But you look at Dwayne Vermeulen and what a clever signing he's been for, for Ulster. Um, he's just added a little bit of an extra harder harder edge to them. But one question I wanted to ask you is, this season, I think over the last couple of games in particular, you look at that, that Leinster URC team. We'll see, we call it the regular season team when a lot of those guys are away. Is it just me or are they looking a little bit underpowered relative to what we, we would have expected from them in years gone by? I know a lot of their key guys are... And you know, a year older in some cases, and they've had a few injuries as well. Um, and you know, I think there's more guys being called up, but it's just something I think that that's been a difference maker for them this season. I mean, they've already lost what three games this year, and Ulster have done it twice. That doesn't happen every but like that. That's that's notable for that to happen. Um, and it just is it a reflection of how good Ulster have been and how much they've developed on, or is it a reflection of Leinster in that that URC? level team kind of regressing a small bit which kind of seems a bit weird to say about Leinster as good as they are but that was one of my my takeaways looking at the game back it's just that Leinster maybe two seasons ago maybe win this game and close it out because again it was a close enough finish especially in the conditions that's just something I was looking at I wonder what you, what, what you think of that there's one thing that I noticed from Leinster and I was actually going to wait to talk about it uh, when we talk about Leinster but should we just jump in was their passing. It actually wasn't as clean as Leinster passes, I suppose, or Leinster passing we'd be used to uh, in the past. It wasn't as crisp. It just seemed like passes were going into fellas' chests, going a little bit behind them, runners having to stop, you know, little things like this. And while that seems like such a minor detail, like, that, yeah, the pass is still getting to the player, they have to check themselves. And it's just probably as a result of the previous carry not being as positive. And while the runners might be where they think they are, they're actually probably that small bit too flat, if that makes sense, because the carry didn't go as far as they wanted it, if that makes sense. And if you're passing really flat on the line like that, you have to be so accurate. Oh, yeah, 100%. Otherwise, if you're, if you're twisting your shape even slightly to collect the pass or to address it, 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 it reduces the quality of the, of the next collision which then that has a kind of a, it compounds like interest, kind of builds, builds, builds until all of a sudden you're just like, where the fuck did that pass come from? And it's like, well, could be player error, but it also could be a, you know, a, a, a kind of a product of the last number of passes that led to poor collisions, which led to even poorer passes. And that's um, it. And, it and, and it's also like, it's also that Leinster are so used and want to play a multi-phase game almost just in chaos. But like, if you're playing in chaos, that's fine but your passes better be bang on the money because otherwise your players can't do it. I, I also think it, it comes down to, and I'm not going to hit ourselves here with the, with the collisions, Jackson, but it does come down to the, to the tight five. And I don't think the tight five is as strong as it has been in the past. 
like you know you're 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 looking at previously like you wouldn't you would have had the likes of Kelleher or Sheen even last year coming through they wouldn't have been first choice um you know even going back maybe a bit before that you wouldn't have necessarily you would have Porter coming through who would, would have been maybe around the fringes of the Ireland team or whatever um <clears throat> even if you take second row you know even the likes of Ross uh, Ross Maloney has now been called up into into the Ireland squad he he wasn't there at the weekend so they don't have that sort of strength in the tight five. And if your tight five aren't getting you over the game line, then the chances are you're going to be under more pressure at half back and the passes might be slightly off. You're on the back foot. You don't have that same time and space. And I, I think to me, that's that's a big thing. One of the things, like, and we'll, we'll move on to the, maybe the Leinster side of things now. Like the, I think two of the things that I saw, I thought one that they did really well was I thought they actually targeted the Ulster back three very well with their kicking game. They found sort of grass and space quite often with their kicks and they put Gilroy under huge pressure. Um, but I also thought that Leinster's efficiency once they got close to the, got into or around the Ulster 22 was actually very poor. They they ju- they didn't seem to be able to take their chances. And I thought the Ulster defense was able to manage them and win those collisions quite easily. Um, and and make sure that they they held them out. I thought there was apart from the the Deegan try, I thought Ulster looked in control and happy with their defensive line um, throughout the game. That kind of stood out as well, actually. That Ulster for the most part looked relatively comfortable defensively, which was a, a bit unusual because you normally expect Leinster to stress. But like you, like Jeff said, their pass quality was an issue for them throughout the game. And I wanted to ask you as well, Michael Alatoa. What do you reckon of him as a signing for Leinster at this stage in the season after we're, we're kind of more or less just over halfway through? What do you make of him? What do you make of his contribution so far? Because I was a little bit surprised that I was a little bit disappointed with a guy like Michael Alatoa so far from a Leinster perspective. Because most of the games I've watched him and he's been pretty good, but he hasn't stood out to the level that maybe even an Andrew Porter would have in previous years gone by when he was at the tight head. And Michael Alatoa is a good player. I was just a bit surprised by it because I was watching him in the game and I was like, he hasn't really had the impact I, I expected from him in this game. And then I realized that I was kind of thinking the same thing throughout the season so far, really. In the 68th minute, Leinster won a scrum against the head. Was Alatoa on the pitch at that stage? Not sure. Overall, I'm just a little bit just surprised. That I suppose if you sign a name... I have impressed. If you sign a name like that, I suppose you want to be talking about him in the same way that I suppose we've been talking about Vermeulen. That's maybe maybe not to the same depth. I know Vermeulen's a World Cup winning eight and everything like that, but like it's still it was a big signing at the time. You do want to be talking about him in the same vein. Well, I mean, like the way I would look at it is is he an upgrade on and again, no disrespect in this, but to the likes of Michael Bent, who's been who's been covering those positions. And I, I think he he's he's a better player than Michael Bent. He he can offer more around the park. Um, I think he's a, a better carrier, etc. Um, but he is not at the same level as Porter or Furlong or those guys. But I also think it's it's around it's about those players who are around him. As we said, he doesn't have the same um, sort of even second rows sort of pushing behind him in the scrum. He he doesn't necessarily have the same level of depth in the front row beside him. And I suppose will will we see it in the in the knockouts? 
of Europe and maybe in the URC what level of player he is really up here because we know he's a good player but that's the thing for me it was just I was a little bit surprised considering how impressed I was coming away with Dwayne from Newland and just kind of thinking Michael Alatoa some some decent moments this season and in, in, in this game but didn't seem at the same level and he's a, a guy you know big player for the Crusaders for a number of years Samoan captain um, I was just a bit surprised that it was just like yeah I, I, I was expecting a bit more from him because I'm again looking at Dwayne from Newland what a player he, signing he's been that was kind of where my where my context was coming from. And you, look, I, go on, no one. Sorry. I, yeah. yeah, no, I, I I just think that Leinster are, and we'll get to it later on. Leinster are a little bit like Ireland in that the move in taking Porter over to the loose head has strengthened their first choice team, but it has weakened the backups. And, and yeah, even overall, I would say, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I think, look, we'll, we'll get to it, but look, even behind, at Leinster, behind Keane Healy, at Loosehead, I think you, you have an issue coming through <clears throat> in, in sort of getting to that same level, the top tier of sort of Champions Cup. Um, and potentially it's still out there whether Alatoa can, can be that sort of thing. You're going to keep Furlong on the pitch for, you know, 65, 70 minutes if you can't, even at top level. Um, and the question will be, can Alatoa fill in if he's injured? That's the bigger question. And I, I think the jury's still out on that. You know what? One of the biggest things after that game annoyed me was, was a select few Leinster fans talking about how Ulster beat them with their own players. God above. Yeah. And I know it's not every Leinster fan. Don't get me wrong. So please don't be at me uh, tomorrow when you listen to this. But there's enough of them for it to be like, where, where is this coming from? Like, like uh, there was a couple in my mentions now saying, oh, like Ulster beating us with our own players. Had a quick look at the 23 that beat Leinster there the last day. I'm just going to fly through it quickly. Warwick never played for Leinster. Andrew never played for Leinster. Marty Moore left in 2016. And he's gone to Wasps before Ulster. How were they still claiming him as their player? Alan O'Connor never played for Leinster. Um, I know he's from Dublin, but he never played for Leinster. Le- Leinster Sub Academy, so they're That's just it, like yeah. we're going to claim those guys too. <laughs> That's it. Carter not, never played for Leinster. Ray no. Timoney no. Vermeulen no. Doak no. Burns no. Gilroy no. McCluskey Moore Balakoon, Lowry Stewart O'Sullivan, uh, Mila Sanovic no. Uh, Carney left in 2019. Jordy Murphy left in 2018. Cooney left in 2014. And Ian Madigan left in 2016 and has been to two different clubs since before joining Ulster. And then Ben Moxham never played for Leinster. So this idea of, oh, they're beating us with our players. The closest player to Leinster in that 23 was Mick Carney. And he's gone three years. He went to Zebra in the meantime. I mean, there has to be a statue of limitations. Is that the right word I'm, I'm looking for? Yeah, no. It, and, yeah. And, but, but you know where I think it comes from? It's this weird idea that that some of these Leinster fans have. And I've, I have look, I've ended up with a lot of these guys in my mentions over the years. It's just part of the job at this stage. Where they can never lose. It's never a case that it's a loss. They can never be beaten. But they can only be beaten by variants of Leinster. Um, and that's part of the reason why they're claiming guys who were happened to be born in Leinster hospitals. Like, it's um, again, it's just it, it's a weird form of copium that, in the aftermath of defeats, 
you hear thrown at the team that beat them. And it's something that happens when uh, Connacht have beaten Leinster. Uh, and if they do so again next year, it'll be even louder uh, for Ulster as well. It's just a kind of a, a weird form of kind of just fan behavior, bad fan behavior, I would say that um, I think ultimately discredits a lot of the conversations that you can have around players moving provinces. Cause, and I think that some of this stems from media coverage also where there's an idea that if a player is to leave Leinster, then they either have to go abroad or retire because the idea that they should move to another Irish province, basically go work in another part of the country. Like a lot of people have done and will do when like over, over the years, like as in, that's the weirdest thing to me is that this is somehow a, 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 a bad thing or something that should be a you know a, a, a demerit against the the club that is employing them. Um, it's just a very weird thing that you would never you would only associate it with rugby. It's only really a, an, an issue with rugby in Ireland, actually, strangely enough, because people move around England constantly, and there's not this idea of producing people or poaching guys not this weird thing like we're talking about people here like poaching or not stealing fucking pheasants like that's the thing for me like it's just this weird way of of commoditizing players that like that if if a, a leinster player goes to another province and does well that it's a form of shoplifting or something it's just very very weird and it's one of the weirdest parts of the rugby kind of landscape in ireland certainly that it's just B- bizarre because again like we, we'll be talking there in a minute about the likes of a, a Jake Flannery possibly going to to Ulster as rumoured would like if he does yeah, well up in Ulster you're not going to turn around and be like he's a Munster player he's playing like, with Ulster no like and you look at Sean Cronin as much of a Leinster guy I would say as anybody and the likes of Noel McNamara like that's a guy who if he were to go back to Leinster theoretically <laughs> then it would be like well, that's not a shock. He came up through Leinster. He's got a lot of uh, affinity to there. He's lived there, worked there. It's just a very weird, I don't know, fan construct that you can never have guys from Leinster go somewhere else without it being a shameful thing for some reason. And I, I, again, I just, I just don't understand it. It's not something that's in my head to do, but oh, oh, well, you're enjoying Sean Cronin. <laughs> Where was he born, guys? <laughs> yeah. Look, it's 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 one of these things that will continue to happen because of the way that the system is set up. Because look, we all know back in the day it was the AIL that was the testing ground. Now it's schools rugby, and that schools rugby moves it to the cities, effectively, and the vast majority of it comes from the the sort of the Greater Dublin area, and the, you are not going to be able with a squad, and particularly when they're probably reducing squads. You're not going to be able to fit everyone that comes through even the Leinster Academy into Irish rugby. People are going to have to go somewhere and the vast majority of those will try and stay within the Irish system. If there's good players good enough, they're going to move to other provinces at some time, at some point to try and get game time. It just has to happen. And this, the idea that you talked about there, Tom, it's the same idea. You can't lose. It's Your team wasn't beaten. You were cheated by a referee or you were cheated by something else. It's that sort of mentality that comes along with these people who look for whatever reason can't get beyond that. I feel I touched a nerve there. Oh, you did. My nerves are jangled after that now. <laughs> I'm thinking, because <laughs> again, I'm just thinking back to my mentions all those years ago and recently actually, but just the, the most fucking bizarre 
like like I said there on Twitter the other day, like a KPMG office fucking threw up all over him in dimensions, furious about some fucking minor thing. Like Peter Manny happened to be selected like 80 caps, but somehow they're the ones who are right. <laughs> Not all the coaches who've selected him over the years. It's just this very weird. It's it part. I've, I've been having discussions about this actually on my on my Discord there, dear, like over the last couple of days, about how it is one of the most. Not I'm not I'm not sure what the proper word for it is, but it's a the most the lamest part of consuming rugby through the lens of social media is the idea that any non Leinster guy in the twenty three is somehow there. It's it's a scam or it's a fucking fraud that these guys are there. And that it's a disgrace that they're there. And it's constant. And you would have seen it, Jeff. And you would have seen it, on in your mentions at times about all this stuff. And it's just like, it's exhausting to deal with at times. And look, the only way to deal with it is to ignore it as much as possible. Block, mute, do whatever you need to do. Do you think we ignored it tonight? God, no. No. <laughs> that's, but that's what this is for, this live therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is nothing to do with a podcast. This is just us coming on to vent. Just grievances. <laughs> oh, you like Sean Cronin, do you? <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll keep somewhat onto the team. We'll go on to, as, as you mentioned there, Tom, Jake Flannery has been strongly linked with a move to, to Ulster. And a, look, I think it's a, probably a, a move that makes sense for all parties. Um, but I suppose, is he likely to push Billy Burns? As for the starting spot, maybe next season, or and yeah. what does it mean for Ian Madigan as well? Not not much good, I'd say. <laughs> but I, I would say looking at looking at Jake Flannery, um, like, and this hasn't been confirmed, but you hear stories around the place, right? That that Ulster were talking to him, as far as I was aware. But like, you look at the the, the scenario that Jake Flannery is looking at at the moment. Um, while Jack or uh, Joey Carberry has been injured and away with Ireland. Ben Healy and Jack Crowley have been monopolizing those minutes there. Jake Flannery had, uh, I think he had, a, he had a start, I think, against Zebra. He went reasonably well. Um, but he's solidly down the pecking chart there in a place where there's four senior fly halves. And, and I know he played fullback for Ireland in the 20s, but he seems to be looking that he's a 10 because I've only ever seen him playing for Munster A as a 10, playing for Shannon as a 10. So if he wants to play a 10, He's not going to get a huge amount of opportunities at Munster if he decides to sign on for another year, we'll say, at Munster next season. But if Ulster are coming in, offering him a year or even two years, I think he'd be stone mad not to take it, to be honest. I think because you're, you, you've got a chance to compete right away up there uh, with Billy Burns. Ian Madigan, I'm not sure. Again, we, we don't know what kind of contract value this guy's on, but for a guy like Jake Flannery, who's got a lot of potential, that makes a lot of sense for Ulster, given that I don't think they have any massive standouts coming through the academy at 10 as far as i'm aware um and you could see how a guy like jake fannery would cater quite well with young nathan doak and nathan. that would um I, I think it makes a lot of sense if that move does happen it makes a lot of sense to me i think the rugby oh, yeah. that flannery is capable of playing also complements the style of rugby ulster look to to play behind that pack and that platform they create too so um i i think and again, like that, he's going into second slash third choice rather than fourth slash fifth. Fourth, yeah. You know and I mean? so because again, like I don't think it's massively outrageous to suggest that Jake Flannery could be making the bench at least for big games next season, depending on other how other contracts work out there. I don't I don't think that's unrealistic at all. 
No, I think I think that's spot on. I think what you said, Jeff, that was the point I was going to make as well. I think his skill set there, it's it's very like uh Burns, good kicker, decent passer, um, can sort of fill that sort of second five eight. He's um, elusive as well, really good agile runner, yeah, player. Good runner. Good runner with the ball and could fit into that. And I mean, look, as we say, I think he could he could really sort of maybe push into that sort of well, whether he's second or third doesn't matter too much. You're going to pick up injuries. It's going to be whatever else going on. He he will get game time and a lot more than he would at Munster. I think that's that's probably the the biggest one, and I think it'll work out well for for all the parties if it does go through. And plus, as well, if Ulster beat Munster next season with Jake Flannery playing, oh, there's our just got to load up. Oh, you like Jake Flannery? You liked him? We didn't. Where lose was he born? Jake. Tell me. We didn't lose Jake Flannery. One, I can see it now. <laughs> Um, Ulster have no game this week, but they will prepare for their mini tour to South Africa to play the Stormers and the Bulls, followed by Toulouse away. Um, moving on then to Leinster, we've obviously discussed the match. Uh, Joe McCarthy got called up to the Ireland squad, um, which was probably on the, on the back of our bigging him up here on the pod last week. I think it was. We all know how close Andy Farrell is to us on the pod. We have no beef with Andy Farrell, as far as I'm aware. Tom, oh, I do. You, oh, you're fighting with him, are you? Sorry. Yeah. Did he, call you Tom, did he call you Tom Sandwich or something? Everybody calls me that now. I'm going to change that to my username on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I love though. I love how it was the very like first like what like six words or seven words, and we were just yeah. like, yeah, we're going. With and it. you've never blown that intro before ever. No, you've always 15, done that first 15, time. <laughs> Fifteen episodes in, that's the first fuck up I've done on the intro. Yeah. You know, ah, we'll go with it though. I think it's fairly cool. Yeah, I, Tom, like Tom I like it. I like it. I like it. I hear that at the fucking press conference next week. I'm gonna be fucking fuming. I'd be deli- I'd, I'm gonna call you out on it again, is he? <laughs> I'd be delighted with it. I was once um, called. This is a true story. I was once called Jess Neville in a newspaper clipping after a match. Jess Neville in the back row, and I was like, for fuck's sake! <laughs> it's the one time I get in the paper, and they call me a girl's name. It's a true story. Oh God! And like the S and the S and the F, like on the keyboard, is separated by another letter. Like so, like you know, I wasn't even wasn't even close. It wasn't even Jed Jed Neville. I'd take Jed or Jeg anything. Jeg Neville. (laughs) I saw him entered in some of our competitions with the signed shirts. Founder of the founder of the loose bread, Jeg Neville. The gig is up. I've been found. I I oysted myself. <laughs> you know what I what of my thing. You know because Joe McCarthy, right? Six foot seven. I think I saw today when I was. He, he's grown. He's grown an inch last week, has he? It's. it's he's, he's I, six, mean, six, I looked on Wikipedia. And he's six he's, foot seven now. He, he's no dog. The dog six ten. Six ten. But like, he's coming up on one hundred and twenty kg. I'd say he'll be past that by the time he's twenty one. In the academy, four games, and he's called up to the Ireland squad. That's fantastic for Joe from Joe McCarthy. He's going, Alan to, O'Connor, he's going to be in green very soon. Yeah, I know. But if I'm Alan O'Connor, I must be I'm fucking fuming. Well, I mean, I that was that was one of the points I I had on like, this. Like, dude, it, like it is, <laughs> it's a deserved call up as a development player. Yeah, but I mean, how hard does this make New Sephora's job in moving players around the provinces and sort of link to the conversation we were having previously? Because if you can be for third, fourth choice at Leinster, then in, in their squad depth, 
and still getting called into the Ireland squads, what's the point in moving to another province? Like, I, I think if you're Leo Cullen this week, that's fantastic news for, for John Young, Joe Mahar. He's a, look, he's a good player. And he's the guy who's like his size profile. That's exactly the type of guy Ireland, Ireland need at the moment. If you're Leo Cullen, though, you're doubly delighted because now the next time David Nusifora is talking to one of your players saying, hey, you can move down to Munster and maybe start down there, get some Champions Cup rugby under or footy under your belt, right? And you can be playing for Ireland. But now Leo Cullen can go tell David Nusifora to go fuck himself. Because there was a guy, four games, still in the academy, gets called up to Carton House. It's like, why would you bother listening to anything David Duxaforda says now about, oh, go move here to play this, that, or the other? It just doesn't make any sense. It's great for Leinster and fantastic for Joe McCarthy. But, like, it's just one of those things where I'm just, because I was thinking there the other day, I was just like, Alan O'Connor, again, look, Alan O'Connor, Leinster is Alan O'Connor, by the way. (laughs) Born in Dublin. (laughs) I'm thinking if I'm him, a pride I'm product going, of the sub academy. I'm going, Jesus! <laughs> I am fucking fuming. <laughs> so really spit it. out my coddle type thing. <laughs> so that's it. We've moved Jesus. on to having beef with players as well as provincial coaches. <laughs> no, but I'm just like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's a bit like if Scott Buckley was called up to Ireland or to the Ireland squad after three games, it was just like, That'd be fucking brilliant for Scott Buckley. But it's just, I found it was just, I was a bit like, what, really? Um, as, as good as he is, I was just a little bit surprised. And I know he's only going to be only going to be holding tackle bags, we assume. You know, he's going to be doing training drills or whatever. But I was just a bit, I was a bit surprised. As good bit, as he is. I was a bit surprised Maloney got called up too, like ahead of, and this isn't provincial bias, but like ahead of the likes of Klein. Because the thing is, like they could have gotten a plane on Saturday and been there from Monday morning. But maybe that's awkward. Maybe that was a pain in the hole. Well, I know they're in South well, Africa. Ro- well, Ross Maloney was called up well before uh, Munster went off on their um, mini tour, wasn't he? Yeah, but I, I, I don't think Jean, for whatever reason, is in Farrell's plans at the moment, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, look, I think that's fairly obvious. For, yeah, and as you say, like, we don't know why, but... Yeah, but like as in, you look at... Joe McCarthy makes 100% sense to go up there because again a very impressive young man like for a guy 20 in was he in year 2 of the academy yes. to be at this it, he is the size that that guy has on already in year 2 of the academy I know he was injured last year that, that was part of the reason why he didn't uh, why he wasn't captain of the Ireland under 20s last year I think wasn't it he wasn't he, no, he in the frame for that? he played Irish 20s was, he did, did he or did, did he get injured yeah. before the the, 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 the summer no, he definitely played Irish 20s. Did just he? Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. But, like, but he, apparently he was out injured for a good long while anyway. Um, and he's used that time to put size on because I think Johnny Sexton said that today during the presser. Um, and like he's put good fucking size on. Like it takes guys time to build up to that, you know, 120 kg mark. And he's right there, I'd say. And that's, again, a rare enough quality in Ireland for a, a young man. Because again, you look at like Owen O'Connor, I'd say is a legit six seven, and he's a guy who still has to build up that size to get. Maybe he won't get to one one twenty one twenty kg, but to have that frame, to get to that size comfortably at twenty, that's again, doesn't happen every day for every player in Ireland. That's for sure. And um, like so, while it's great for Joe McCarthy, like he's in, you know, what an exciting time for the guy. Um, it just does make David Nusifor's job a little bit easier or harder, I would say, to move guys around the provinces. Um when it comes to 
higher potential guys. I mean, I know there's guys who kind of Leinster are not cutting this year, but like, I'm not sure that the same role was there for them at the same contract value. Um, and that those guys have then moved on. But I, I don't know what you think about it. Like is in that on the one hand, it's great for, for Joe McCarthy, but on the other hand, it kind of is like, it kind of makes it a little bit difficult for guys on the outside looking and kind of going, Jesus, what do we have to do to get a call up? Well, yeah, I think, I think it makes the, the fringe players at other provinces are sort of going, okay, well, what do we have to do? Or not even fringe players, even starting guys are sort of going, okay, what exactly do we have to do to get into these positions? Like, I mean, okay, even if you take the Munster guys who are down in South Africa, there's problems getting them back and getting them into potentially even with COVID bubbles and stuff like that that may still be going on. But I mean, like, you've got a couple of guys out in Connacht. You know, I've, you know, you've Niall Murray and Oshin Dowling, etc., who are proven, proven talents on that. I would say more so, and it, it makes makes the job of sort of selling. Okay, I've got a future here in in terms of even my Ireland, Ireland sort of ambitions. Makes it a lot harder to sell it. Um, and I'm, I mean, co- coming back then in terms of Leinster, I mean, James Ryan is has suffered obviously another concussion. I think Hope that guy is okay. I watched yeah. that game yeah. back. Man, fuck. He was shook, like, wasn't he? Shook. He, scary yeah. shit. Like, because I, I, I was, I watched that game back. I was doing the breakdown analysis of it. And I, it, this was right at the start of the game. And seeing James Ryan coming off the field, he looked like a young fella. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had that. And like, and he is a young fella. Like, he's what, 20 fucking, 26, 25, 20, 26, 27? Like, a young man. And, seeing him as shook as what he was and looking at the the medics like he didn't kind of know where he was that was fucking scary scary shit did not like that at all that's his what seventh hia in the last 24 games i think i've i saw the stat it's what that's seventh seventh hia in the last 24 games over the last 18 months i saw fifth concussion maybe not maybe seven hias maybe yeah concussion like exactly, if people are going to say that this is provincial fucking bias, I can't stop him from doing it. I don't know if I'd like seeing James Ryan playing again this season, or at least not for a, a good number of weeks. And just purely from like, fuck the rugby, fuck that. As a, young, as a as a young man, as a guy like with the fucking world at his feet, like Caelan Doris took a fair bit out of the game last year when he got a concussion as well, a bad one. You want lads to be coming away. There was a stormer's lock yeah, this week. Retired, retired yeah. immediately because of concussion. This is a fucking dangerous game. He's 24, I think that lad. 24, something like yeah. that. A fucking a young lad, barely out of fucking college over here. And that's the thing, like it's scary. And like you look at that and you you, you want guys to be protected. And Kyle Sinker got looked like he got knocked out as well in that game. And he's back in the squad this week for, for France. And I know everybody's different. I know everybody recovers from these things differently. But I don't know, when it comes to the head injuries, I think the bodies have developed from the 1890s where guys are jacked and, you know, beefed up and bigger now than what they've ever been. The brain is still the same as what it was in the fucking Middle Ages. It, if you fuck that up, it stays fucked. And that's the thing. It's like, you just want guys to be, and I know he's going to be looked after well by, by Leinster and Ireland. Like they, they will do well by him. But it was just scary seeing that, seeing that game, seeing that the start of that game, how he, and... Ewell's got three games three yeah three yeah, yeah. James Ryan James, probably be out longer than that yeah oh definitely 
Definitely much longer than that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was. And it's just, it's very unusual. And I, I wrote about this this week and I wanted to, I, I, I said to myself, ask the lads about this in the podcast. Um, when a coach, as Eddie Jones was last week, is talking about physicality, and we've all heard this from different coaches saying, we're going to get fucking stuck into them. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Do you think that that leads to an environment where guys can end up making reckless tackles? Like we saw from Charlie, uh, from Charlie Hughes, like it was a reckless act. He, he didn't go out there to, to concuss him because he could have easily concussed himself. He's not going out there to do that. But do you think that keying guys up like that and talking about they're never going to have a game as physical as this, that this is the most physical game they're going to have that, that, that they've had in years, that that kind of keys guys up to be kind of, kind of going out there in a rage or a berserker because you don't want to be let you don't want to embarrass yourself at home with your coach talking in the media during the week about how we're going to fuck him up essentially so you are then kind of going out there kind of almost backing up your coach's talk in the media and as a result then are you more likely to kind of make a not a, a rash tackle but he was looking to get man and ball and dominate ryan in that moment i was looking at it and thinking why aren't you bending your knees if it was about just dominating him you could absolutely drill him here because he's wide open he was doing a screen pass you could absolutely nail him but you're going that high because you're looking to you're looking to dominate, take man and ball. Like, is that kind of the environment that when we're talking about physicality and all this other stuff and talking up how we're going to beat you up, this kind of stuff? Because that's ultimately that you know that that is the implication, isn't it? I think I think when we look at that England team and you're talking physicality, I don't think you actually have to look past Courtney Laws. I think if that was Courtney Laws in that position, making or lining up James Ryan like that, like James Ryan would have got melted. Melted like, absolutely, and but legally. legally, yeah. And he would, but Courtney got, Laws would have, would have taken out two of his ribs, yeah, 100%. And he would have just he would have hinged and absolutely passed through him for a shortcut. And you would have looked at that and went, Was he committed? Yes, well, then unlucky James Ryan, part yeah. of the game. Do you know that kind of way? And, and James it, Ryan gets up, maybe he's a bit sore, yeah. probably plays on, yeah, because like before, because I was going to mention it in the Ireland section, Ellis Genge on Tyke Furlong throughout this game defensively was just fucking lifting into him all game. Legal. Maybe a little bit late at times, you know, because he's committed. But legal, low, driving him back, putting him on his arse. That's the thing when I look at this, like when, I, when you look at a guy going out there two minutes into a game, your coach is talking about physicality, dominating him, blah, 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 blah. Because if he's saying that in public, you, you, God only knows what he's saying in, in, in private. And it's just like, when we're talking about physicality, is that kind of where it'll go for some guys who just get lost in the moment because Charlie Hughes is a, an experienced player. You know, hey, I, I, I just see that moment. It's like, how does that happen to a guy of that experience? Like he's a, speaking, like, about, like, speaking about physicality, that probably brings us into the monster game real well. Yeah, actually. Yeah. We go ahead with that. Yeah. And I, look, I think that sort of gets us over to monster who lost to the Bulls 29, 24 in Loftus Versfield on Saturday afternoon. Munster trailed 26-3 at the break after a disastrous first half, um, which cost them the game. Tries from Kendall and Dale and O'Donoghue brought them back close to an amazing comeback win, but the gap was just too big. And Munster, uh, they should have won it in the last they two should. They should have won it. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> the, the things that I... Well, there was three things that I took from, from the game, personally. Uh, maybe, well, four. I'll come to the fourth one afterwards. I thought, first of all, it was the amazing monster comeback. Secondly, I thought, I have no idea how Ben Whitehouse is basically allowed to ref a game 
I thought that that hit the shoulder to the head um, that Kendallin took in, was it the second half? Oh, second was half, that, yeah. Was that Kendallin as well who took that tackle? Yeah. Yeah. That young fellow went through the wars. Yeah. Right. And, and like the fact that the TMO kept having to remind Whitehouse, no, it was a hit to the neck. It was a hit to the head. It was a hit to the neck. And didn't he say at the end, oh, well, it was the base of the neck. Yeah, the base of the neck. It's like medium force. He's, he's, he's making stuff up as he goes along. And look, from a player safety point of view, there has to be a discussion about how long that can continue to go. Right. And I won't have a word said in terms of White House, in terms of his, how that influenced the game and whether it cost Monster or anything else. That didn't cost Monster. Monster cost Monster. Right. Ben White House, in terms of this, has to put his hands up yet again around player safety and not listening to a TMO come through. Right. I thought it was just amazing. And then, absolutely to top it off, you had Duplessis just fucking do a WWF move and fucking drop Kendallin on his head. In terms, absolutely- in terms, I'm with you on on this one. In terms of losing the game, Munster's first half last Munster the game. And you can talk about the decisions or the non decisions as I think they were all you want. But at the end of the day, like Munster didn't play a White House well. I think that's fair to say. But like in terms, and like I don't like talking about kind of refs' decisions and stuff like that. That's why I'm not. But that one call on that tackle is absolutely shocking. Yeah, like shocking. Like the Bismarck Duplessis one was was easy. That was probably a red card in the 1970s. Like that was an easy one to give. The one with uh, the, the 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 kind of the high shot on Candelan's neck. Um, look, that's a red card or at least a yellow card most of the time. Just penalty, and that's it. For me, it was bizarre. Um, and again, like we we look at Monster and, and some of the physicality that that the Bulls had, which was fucking unreal. Like they are huge men. My God, like I, I was in a presser this week and they were talking about um, Calvin Ash was saying it was just one of the most difficult games he's ever played in because you combine altitude as well. But some of the some of the shots out there, some of the impacts, unreal. Like the Bulls, are so, they're so big and they're so physical and so direct as well. Um, it's just very difficult. And I think Munster would have come into the game knowing that they needed to get uh, some calls to the breakdown to try and reduce the impact of the Bulls running. When they didn't get those calls, for whatever reason, that made it a very difficult game to play, especially in the first half. Um, and they kind of turned it around a little bit and slowed down the Bulls a little bit better in, in the second half. They adjusted at halftime. But like the, I think it was the ability to not adapt to the collision scenarios that were there in the, in the first half cost Munster big time because... You look at the first Bulls try came from a, a a rip that went straight into Tamway's hands, finished, you know, goes to pass Stephen Archer. Fantastic try. He beat and 13 after, defenders. Hmm? He be, Tamway beat 13 defenders. Fabulous, fabulous player. And like, but it, it, it's that type of environment down there where everything is just like, it's a bit like a different level on a video game where the parameters have changed and all of a sudden, guys are moving a bit faster than what you expect and there's a little bit more space and all of a sudden they're they're running faster and you're losing collisions that you might not normally lose because like some of the defense from Munster we saw in this game was bizarrely unlike Munster this season because whatever about Munster's attack you know people going about Munster's attack and this that and the other Munster's defense has been fabulous all season long 
Um, and that was one of the, like when you're just like, Jesus Christ, guys, lads are missing tackles and falling off tackles. Altitude does weird things. And it like, it, it makes throwing into the lineup more difficult um, and more challenging because when you're playing the game, it's, it's not training. You go back to muscle memory and your muscle memory is telling you we're at sea level, right? <laughs> so when you're in this, so you're trying to, you're, you're throwing that ball and all of a sudden there's a lot of overthrows and then a lot of underthrows when you're trying to correct for it. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, very physical. I was, I was quite impressed with the Bulls um, and very impressed with Monster's comeback. Actually, my beloved Monster's comeback in the last uh, 20, 25 minutes. Um, but again, Monster should have won the game. They had an opportunity when uh, Mornay Stain, he missed his penalty um, where there was a massive overlap and Ben Healy didn't throw the pass. And I was thinking, do you know what? At altitude, one of the biggest things that you get with the l- l- less oxygen, you're not thinking as clearly. And I think Ben Healy, most games, throws that pass and maybe John Hodden or Calvin Nash finishes under the posts. It was just one of those things. And Munster will be fuming because they should have won the game, regardless of how badly they started and how they didn't adapt. That was one of my big takeaways from it, that the challenges of playing at altitude are going to shock everyone in their first game, I think. Owen, there was a question I asked you before, and it was if you cashed all your chips on in one player at the moment, who would it be? And you said Alex Kendellan. How good was he? And like, just in turn, and the only thing I'm going to say is like, watching that game, if that was me in Kendellan's body, I wouldn't be able to play for another three, four weeks because I'd be lying in a bit of ice and that's all I would be doing. I would be in a full body cast lying in bed <clears throat> with the, uh, what do you call it? The counter suspension things on the on my legs. The man was put through absolute torture. And like we talked about Joe McCarthy there earlier and his size and the fact that he stepped up. Alex Kendellan is still in the academy as well. And he stood up against the probably some of the biggest and best players that the South Africans have to throw at us. Like, like he was absolutely everywhere. He was hitting rocks, he was getting in the faces. I think. Duplessis' actions were the on on the basis of how much of a pest he was at the breakdown, how much of the counter rocking and sort of jackal threat that he was, and then he was sent on to to sort of sort it out to a degree. If, if you if you watch that uh, breakdown that Duplessis did his suplex or whatever it was, like he's actually trying like to keep Kendellen away like four to like four or five seconds beforehand. And it's almost like he picked him up as if to say, like, would you ever just fuck off and stop hitting this rock? Like, do you know that kind of way? Like, I'm not You know, defending, like, you know what I loved about the performance? And by the way, if, if I played Kendall like 10 minutes of Alex Kendellan's first half, you'd be doing this podcast with me commuting to a fucking Ouija board. <laughs> I looked at Alex Kendellan take that shot from Vorster that, that, that should have been a yellow card, I would say. Yellow card, red, but whatever. And he was pissed off. But Munster still had the ball. The next rock, he was up and absolutely fucking nuked a guy over the ball at the breakdown and punished him. I love that. I love he got up. He was pissed off. Next rock, laid a marker down on a guy. And he was doing that all game. He was getting stuck in guys at, at, at the scrap at the start as well. There was a bit of a, and you expect that from the Bulls. Like, And I loved how Alex Kandelan was right in there getting stuck in. And I think it was Marcel Cutsey or something like that. Didn't give a fuck. That young lad looks like future monster captain material to me. Anyway, he's got that he's got that air about him. And you, like you look at that, you look at that back row that the Bulls had. It was what Arnold Bolta, Marcel Coty, and um, Low. Low, Elric like, Low, big Elric dudes, Lowe. 
very good players. Exactly. And Kendellan was absolutely mixing it up. And like Kendellan, he's one of the a number of promising players that have sort of come through the academy over the last few years. But for Munster, not too many of them have actually broken the glass ceiling into the, the starting 15 as of yet. I think like out of the last few guys there, you'd maybe say... Coombs is about the only, the only one who has guaranteed his starting place. Yeah, Casey so. would be a kind of a, a match day 23 mainstay at this stage, whether yeah. he starts or finishes or whatever. Um, but, I mean, but yeah, it's 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 weird. I think I did a, a thing on this recently, actually, about the Monster Academy. And if you go back to the Monster Academy in 2015, 2016, and have a look at some of the guys who were there, I think maybe only Rory Scannell, Alex Wooten, I think, Dan Goggin and one or two other guys came through to play for Munster. A lot of the guys who were in there either aren't playing rugby now at all, or they're playing as not in one of the elite three leagues, as in top 14 or um, oh, they're playing the premiership, is or, or premiership. Yeah. A lot of guys are playing in the championship and stuff like that. Like, oh, do you know what? Playing in the championship actually sounds really, sounds, sounds really good, doesn't it? The more we talk about it, the more I think it's a good idea. Why, why aren't we covering these about. guys who are in the championship? <laughs> but but it's it's weird. So like you had a lot of guys coming through there who and when Razzie came in in 2016, 2017, a lot of these guys were were cut um straight away almost. And I think there was a a recognition at the time that Monster needed to get that academy system sorted out. And it's a bit like kind of turning a, a cruise liner. It's not something that'll happen overnight. Um, and I think that now we're beginning to see coming on nearly six or seven years later, some of the returns, it's just one of those, it's, it, it's, it's a thing where everybody wants to know, like how soon is now when it comes to this stuff, um, player development. And I think next season, I would say you're going to see a different looking monster side. Cause I think if you're any new director of rugby coming in and you're looking at Alex Kendellan in this game, even. Or John Hodnett, how well he how well he played. You're thinking that's an exciting core of guys to come in and build around, to be kind of building the core of a new team coming in. And maybe it should have happened sooner. Maybe it should be the case right now. But maybe with asking that, that might be a little bit too too early even. But we see how he's playing now. That's a guy who, at that level of performance, would you be shocked to see him in a Champions Cup team? Like maybe shocked that he would be selected in it. But shocked, not shocked that he would be at that level. I don't think. I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I think he's got that energy to him. I remember he came on against the Scarlets for his debut because I think Finney Mitchell got injured early. And Kendellan came on and did not look like an academy player. He didn't look like an academy guy in this game either. It's unusual. And it's like seeing a guy coming through like that who looks as good as he does. We don't see that too often down in Munster. We've seen it up in, you know, with the likes of Andrew Porter and James Ryan and a couple of guys like that. But I think Alex Kendellan is kind of in that same mold of a guy who just gets it. Definitely. And I think, look, he, he himself and probably Hodnett are the two to, to really look out for maybe making it onto the, the match day 23 for months or even towards the knockouts this season. Um, moving on then to Connacht. They had no match last week, but the four South African teams winning has really put their Champions Cup qualifications on hold. Um, in terms of the league table, Connacht are in ninth, but the Stormers, the Ospreys and the Sharks are ahead of them with games in hand and the Bulls, Benetton, Scarlets and even Cardiff are still in the mix, you know, uh, behind them with games in hands. 
and Connacht's remaining URC games, they have Leinster at home, Benetton away, Lions away, Sharks away, and Zebra at home. So looking at that, you've got to say Zebra looks probably home winnable, winnable game. You know, they're probably looking even for a bonus point out of that. But the other games, I think they're going to be struggling to, to pick up enough points to, to get into that Champions Cup. I think Benetton away and Lions away are two games they'll be targeting definitely as well. Yeah. Because Benetton... Do you reckon even now, Jeff, they're waiting for results elsewhere? Like, you... Do you... Like, it it happened to us now this season. Like, you know, we... um, And I I don't mean us as a monster. I mean our own team. Like, you know, another team has a game in hand and you're waiting to see what happens so you can push into third. And having other people being dependent on other teams for you to progress somewhere is an awful, it's an awful place to be because like, if you look at Ulster and I know we harp on about Ulster an awful lot, they're literally in total control of where they're going. Like they're not worried about Connacht beating Leinster. They're not worried about Connacht beating Benetton. They're just doing the business. Whereas now Connacht have to win these games and they're also keeping an eye on the likes of the, you know, the Stormers, for example, or, or sorry, the, the Bulls, like in Scarlets and even Cardiff, and just kind of thinking to themselves, okay, right, who are they playing? Hopefully they drop one here. Hopefully they drop one there. Like, it's an awful place to be in. And again, I do think that if you ask anyone in Connacht, be it player or management, and say, are you looking at other teams? They'll say, no, we're just focusing on ourselves. But I don't honestly think that they're in a position just to be focused on themselves at this, ta- at this stage of the season. Um, but I do think of the upcoming games they have coming like yeah they'll go all out against Leinster at home uh, it's a home game but like I do think Benetton and Lions absolutely not beyond um, they're, like they, those games are not beyond them uh, they, both, neither team have shown me much at all uh, they see, I know the Lions game in Leinster was a bit close but like they've not really done much else this season Zebra at home I mean five points should be has to be really has to be if it's yeah, yeah it has to be so i i do think that they are still though going to be keeping an eye on other teams and it's probably it's just not a nice place to be in like to be independent on other teams results no and i think look they're going to be reliant on that as reliant on the other teams and probably taking points off each other in in the games that they have and particularly the games in hand on that, uh, off the field, Connacht announced the signing of Byron Ralston from the Western Force, another uh, speedy back, and David Hawkshaw from Leinster. Um, and they also announced last week, we, we missed it due to our timing, Seamus Hurley Langton, who is somehow not Irish qualified, um, but is a Kiwi back row. Um, so they're, they're, they're bulking up for next season, but possibly not in the right areas. Um, seems to be a lot of backs and back rowers coming in, but not too many type five players. They got Peter Dooley. Peter Dooley, yeah. And Adam Byrne. Byrne. And I think there's rumours that they're looking at signing Charlie Ryan. Ryan. And I, I think Peter Dooley is, will be a good signing for them um, and will add depth. And I think a lot of that depends on whether they re-sign um, Dennis Buckley. At loose head, I think he's out of contract and hasn't been uh, announced as renewing. I'm sure they will. I'd be really surprised. I'd be shocked if they didn't retain him. Homegrown guy. Um, Good player. He's from Blackrock. Is he homegrown? 
Yeah. Was he? Oh Jesus! Yeah, was he yeah, born yeah. in Dublin as well? Yeah. So I mean, if he leaves, you like kind of... you like him, do you? <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst inner city Dublin accent I have heard now. Jesus. But what I feel sorry for the listeners who can't see Tom's face when he says it. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, he's black. He's a uh, black rock. Yeah. I was full sure convinced that he was. He, Cortunda or somewhere. <laughs> somewhere yeah. Wearing an iron jumper. <laughs> Maybe no at this stage, because he's there since he left school. Um so yeah, no, but like he, he, he came up to their academy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he that's, did. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that, yeah. That's where he got it. Yeah. Homegrown. Just homegrown. homegrown. Galway's own. From for is it from grassroots to green shirts? Dennis Buckley, the face. <laughs> um <laughs> I think I think of their signings though. I think David Hawkshaw is going to be a good signing because um, I don't think that anybody has seen the full potential he has. Like I remember him playing schools for Belvedere, and he was, I mean, very very good at that level, like very good. And he's going into a system where there's how many tens, you know, that kind of way. He's not getting much game time. I don't think he's seen much of any uh, this season. I can't remember seeing him play this season anyway. Um, but like he is a very good 10 and I think that bridge in Connacht like that they cross when Carty isn't available I think that he's a very good filler like I like Fitzgerald don't get me wrong but like after Fitzgerald you're down to uh, oh what's your man's name Carl Ford Carl Ford yeah and like that's I like Carl Ford don't get me wrong but like it's very soon to be dropping him let's say Carty gets injured tomorrow let's say I don't know walking across the road for sake of example you're down now to going into Europe, Leinster twice, and Cottle Ford is suddenly bossing knockout rugby in Europe. I think it's just a bit of a, a big ask, and it's probably putting the same pressure that people put Harry Byrne under uh, when he was start, you know, when he was starting through to break out. So I think that David Hawkshaw is a very good signing in terms of um bridging that gap. And I think probably the second best signing there is someone um who I suppose that I, like a lot of Irish people will relatively know little about. Um, they'll hear Hurley Langton and think that, oh, I don't know, there's a, you know, Kilkenny we're playing and we're now back in Langton's in the middle of Kilkenny. But um, it's, he's a very, very good ball carrier. And I think that he could just be backing up. Like he, he could be that backup or not backup, but he could be in the mix to help complement Prendergast and the likes of Oliver like we were talking about there I think it was last week we were talking about like if you're signing guys you want them to complement what you already have your best ball carriers and your most physical guy and I think that's what he does so I think those two signings will be very good for Connacht I think actually Josh Murphy could be the, the one who adds the most impact I think I forgot about Josh Murphy I forgot, I forgot about Dr. Josh Murphy what <laughs> <laughs> about Josh Murphy this, this I, I think, disclaimer on that one I think Josh could add an awful lot if they can get somehow squeeze himself and maybe Prendergast into the back row maybe one of them at eight one of them at six and you have Oliver there at open side I think that is a you've club captain around there is that yeah I know you I, I, um, I think they might put Josh Murphy into the second row I think they may I think they may look to to put him there I think that would make sense given who they've lost um I think he could certainly play there because as he played mostly sort of back row for Leinster or is he, he? He's fitted in, fitted both, hasn't he? He's done. Yeah, he's a sort of a four-six type player. Yeah. yeah, and but I think I think if you could if you could get a an either a Fafita or a Fafita replacement 
and you could put sort of Murphy into the back row with Prendergast, I think then you've got a real sort of physical ball carrying back row along with sort of Oliver, who, who is that sort of threat and link man. And then you've got a real top class and then you've got Jared Butler or someone like that off the bench who, who covers all three positions. It, re- it really allows you sort of a, a bit of scope. Um, Sorry, I'm just okay. after pulling a grey hair out of my beard. I've got so fucking many of them. Jeez. We'll move on then because we, we don't have enough time to deal with middle-aged problems at this, <laughs> in this podcast. It's a sentence I didn't think I'd hear Tom utter today, like especially on the podcast live, if that makes sense. I, I do what I want on this, on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to have to I've do got a so, sort of a... My beard started because he's. I've, I've been full egg the last couple of weeks in this podcast because I, I, I made a mistake with my beard a couple of weeks ago, so I had to shave it all off. So I've been full beard. And since it's come back in, or full bald, and since it's come back in, gray hair, gray, gray hair on both sides. It's the stress of this podcast, man. It fucking is. People don't see how stressed we actually are. When I, I need a full just for men cover now to go across my beard and my graying hair. In well. fairness, Owen, if any of the three of us are stressed because of this podcast, it is definitely you, I'd say, to yeah. be fair. He does the most amount of work in his podcast, for sure. Oh, like 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and we didn't even ask him how his week was half the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I get the text from Owen. Like I, I get they the text like from shit. Owen, and I'm genuinely like, oh, God, look at the amount of effort that Owen's gone into. I didn't even watch the game at the weekend. Like, I feel, like I'm just there like looking at these scripts it's just like I've never done a once done a script for any of my podcasts that I do <laughs> well, folks there you go if you were wondering this. Who, if you were anybody was ever wondering who the brains and who does all the work behind this podcast it ain't me and it ain't Tom certainly certainly not me <laughs> I just rock up and talk shit I haven't even, I haven't even seen some of these games <laughs> and it shows <laughs> that's, that's, that's myself but Jeff there that we, have, we haven't seen half these games you only watch our beloved monster, and that's it. <laughs> it's all it's all down to Owen's brilliant script that we read, and I just feel like you know, I didn't even need to see the game. It's like Ulster. Did they play well? Did they win? Probably they played well. So <laughs> that's that. That's my that, that's myself and Jeff's secret chat there. We do before we go on. The thing. <laughs> How did Ulster play well? How did Neil Dock go? <laughs> I once, right. I went, we Tom once told me he had a plan that he's just going to keep saying collision, so the klaxon just keeps going off, so he doesn't actually have to talk about the game. Genius. We'll burn it out. Collisions. Genius. They need to win them. <laughs> Genius. Go on. We we'll move on. Sorry, on. There's another grey we'll hair. Just crap. Yeah. We'll move on. We've we've already covered a little bit of uh, England versus Ireland. I think the only thing we might talk a little bit about was maybe the scrum, um, the Ireland scrum, uh, because I think that's come under an awful lot of discussion i suppose over the week um and i suppose there's the debate about were england legal what were they doing and how did they get across it i suppose my own view on that is i i think we we're, we're seeing the the depth issues in the irish tight five i think really see missing keller and porter in the front row and i think there there is a decision to be made around the Ireland's second row and the power that's there needed against the very top tier teams, the likes of France, England and South Africa. Tom, what did you rec- reckon about the, the Irish scrum? Um, I think it's a little bit too convenient to go England were illegal and just kind of leave it at that. Because most scrums, I think, 
at the elite level have some level of illegality to them. If you look back at them, you could probably find somebody doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. Um, and it's a bit like, I, I think that Keen Healy had a real tough time with Kyle Sinclair. Uh, I think Dan Sheehan had a tough day dealing with Jamie George and Tyg Furlong, who's normally a fantastic scrummager. I don't know, would he ever concede as many penalties in the game? And you could say, look, were England wheeling the scrum around a bit? I'd say they were, yeah. But was that part of a pre-planned scheme they had to go after Furlong through Dan Sheehan by slipping Keane Healy? I think absolutely. And I think that you can look at certain aspects of the scrummaging in the second rows. I think Tyg Byrne at times came under big pressure. Um, you could see him losing his feet at times. When I'm looking at scrums, you look at the second row. Do you see them popping up? Do you see their feet, you know, skittering backwards? I saw that a few times in the in the Irish second row, and uh, while certainly I think there was maybe one or two of the the, the scrums England won penalties on, either should have been reset or maybe even be Irish penalties. I, I think that it was a kind of a tough day for Ireland because the big thing now going into the Scotland game, I was gonna, I was going to say this to Jeff now, is like do Scotland look to duplicate elements of that and look to try to use Nell or, you know, Xander Fagerson or whoever it is that, that, that gets selected to slip Keen Healy and look to put pressure on Dan Sheehan and look to try to exploit Sheehan's hooker as a uh, height as a hooker, which is something I wanted to ask you as well. Cause like you'd be more familiar with that than I would know about like taller hookers. That is that something that from a scrubbing perspective can is it is it difficult to adjust to if a tall hooker comes under pressure in the scrum? Because that's one of the things I've heard from forward guys I've worked with before, that taller hookers to them in the scrum, iffy. There's two things you mentioned there that kind of piqued my interest. If you look at the first scrum penalty of the game, Furlong won it. And after that, then, I think it's back left corner up in England's 22, um, Genge gets a scrum penalty. And after he gets up, Noel's on his blind side. So Noel's scrummaging off Genge, let's say, off the flank. But when he pops up, he turns straight around and he's clapping Courtney Laws straight on the back, who's gone into the row there. And he's just clapping him straight away and he's all pumped up, whatever. But like he's saying to Courtney Laws, that's your scrum penalty. Like, So in terms of that second row, I think it was like while Genge was good. And like you said, was it all legal? It was all given. That's all you can say about it. Like, it. you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that power that laws gave through Genge as well was evident. And the second thing about it is, um, were they all given? Yes. At the same time, the more, let's say after that scrum in the referee's mind, he's like, he, Genge has presented a very good picture to Matthew Reynal here. So straight away, when you said there, like, was there maybe two scrums that should have been a reset in Raynell's mind or Matthew Raynell's mind? He's thinking to himself, well, they have the more powerful scrum here. It's clearly not their fault. And I'm not yeah, like, like, he's only human. Ireland are like, struggling to live with these guys. 100%. He's only human. And like, if that happened in a club game where you were coming through and you're opposite prop or something like that, and you know, the ref blew it up and just said, okay, reset or started talking to your, you as a prop, like you'd say, hang on a second. Like in a, in a respectful way, obviously, you know, you'd expect your captain to say like, well, we're the ones who's won six scrum penalties here. It's hardly our fault. And it's just that picture you're projecting. Now, Scotland would have watched that game. And I think we talked about it before 
um was it a game i can't remember what game but a porter had a day at loosehead and we said that i think it could have been new zealand was it and we said that they would have watched that game and sent in the clips of what they were looking to expect no it was france it was france wasn't it it was it was was wales Wales, france France, yeah and we said that or france would have watched that game and sent clips into the i can't remember what ref it was at the time and just said, we want you to be aware of X, Y, Z when he's scrummaging here at Luke's or when he's scrummaging here at tight. I'd be very surprised if Scotland didn't do the exact same thing and said, this is all that happened here. This is perfectly legal. He can't deal with that. We, you know, just to be aware of if we do it, it's not our fault. I'd be so shocked if they didn't start nil. Yeah. Split, I, just for that I, reason. I, th- I think they're going to go after them. And look, I mean, Furlong conceded a lot of the penalties, but that's because of the way England were scrummaging. Like it, it was it was Healy and Sheehan where the issue was because Sinclair won the battle straight through. He he created the gap. And I mean, like for, for those not aware of it, in terms of the the sort of the loose head versus the the tight head, it's it's so different in terms of scrummaging those two positions, in terms of having the weight transfer coming through a tight head on both shoulders. And if you can the, the idea is that as a tight head, if you can win that battle and you can separate the loose head and the hooker, as Sinclair was able to do, if you can go in onto the hooker, it allows your hooker and the loose head to create a pincer move on if essentially on furlong for that. And you could see that Genge was actually being able to get outside and George was able to come through. So effectively, they had separated most of the binds or the effectiveness of the binds of the Irish um, front row. And that started on the Irish loose head side. And I think that needs to be looked at. And I think behind that, Ireland need to look at the, they can fix the front row because they can get the likes of Kelleher back in and you get Porter back in and that will certainly help it. But they do need to look at the second row and whether we don't have the natural physical attributes in terms of second rows that can come in and fix it quickly. You look at what Joe Schmidt did and he got in tight head locks. He got the likes of Quinn Rue or even John Klein going to the, was, to the And Joe Schmidt, like he, he drove the John Klein bus and getting him in ahead of the World Cup because that was something that they were really concerned about, um, about getting that size into the scrum, especially if you're, if you're on target to possibly come up against South Africa. Like that's something that we're looking at in 2023 Indeed. in that pool yeah. game that's scary shit like Franz Malhor but if he's still knocking around then it's not going to get any easier no and there has to be a conversation about how you how you plan for that bringing someone and I'm not saying it has to be John Klein but you bring someone like Klein maybe playing one or two specific games targeted games that you're going to get him in there just to lock out the scrum and I, I think that's something that they that they need the to do is, he does that very effectively like whatever else you could say about 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 his game, and I think his game has come on. He's a core player for Munster this year, and re- realistically for the last couple of years. But it's come the, on. The his fact, scrummaging is huge. The fact that like Ireland won there the weekend, people were like, "Oh, England had fourteen men." Of course, they did kind of a thing. Like I know there's that kind of outlook that some of the public might have, but for me, it was the fact that Ireland won despite six scrum penalties at that level. I was like, Jesus, that's that's tough going. You rarely see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't just the scrum; it was the mall as well. Like our, our England were were fantastic and had dominance at the mall. Um, 
And I mean, if we look at the at the Ireland Scotland game, and you look at that, I mean, like Ireland are without Porter, James Ryan, and Ryan Baird now. So like for for that, so they're they're going to have to make potentially some changes into the second row. I think you're possibly likely to see Henderson and um, Ty Byrne fill that. Um, it's not going to change. I don't. You're not going to see any changes in the front row either. So you're you're looking at the same tight five. There, they might be able to do something in the back row if they, if they want to maybe bulk it up a bit, but you're not going to see see much with that. So, I mean, is as we said, you could easily see Scotland get someone like um, Nell. And, I think Scotland actually are quite big in the second row, aren't they? Like I said, I think they've I think they've actually got quite a lot of size in their second row at the moment. Yeah, and I I think they they have the potentially they can put out and they can change around their front rows um, with the likes of Nell and Schumann. To, yeah. to go from being sort of a, a mobile front row to a more specific scrummaging or, or sort of set piece front row. And I think they may they may do something like that. Um, and I think it's something that Ireland should be good enough to counter. I don't think Scotland should give them, should be able to necessarily beat them, particularly at home. But I, I think they'll give them some problems. I don't see Scotland winning this game. And this is all due respect to Scotland, but I don't see them winning Not this game. Not from me. You've okay, so it's all due respect from me. Maybe on definitely not Tom. I'll, I I'll, I'll go a bit of respect. Yeah, I. <laughs> but I just don't see Scotland winning this game uh, in any way, shape, or form. I'd be very surprised if they did. To be honest with you, um, I'd be shocked. Um, I just don't think that they have enough to trouble Ireland fully. To be honest, and deep frying Mars bars is fucking stupid, and they're they, stupid for doing it. There you go, Scotland. Well, look, I, I think one of the one of the other things that Ireland will look at is that they had the 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 impact off the bench. I think w- was was pretty good. I thought you had the likes of Murray, um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, who's who else came off? Owen and came um, off the bench as well. Henshaw, Henshaw, yeah, Henshaw was was the other there that, that came through, and I thought made a a big difference to it. I think that should probably be good enough. And if if you look at how Ireland, as we said struggle so much in the structured play if they can do anything around that their unstructured play should be good enough to take care of Scotland um, you reckon without James Ryan Ryan Baird and a couple of other guys that this might open up an opportunity for Gavin Coombs hopefully in the yeah. Scotland game do you reckon that's something that they that, that it might make sense from a build perspective to have a guy like what Gavin Coombs brings in theory at test level because we, we haven't seen it yet do you think that makes sense? It depends whether he's met the system enough in terms of the training ground, whether he's comfortable enough there to take over from maybe someone like Alan O'Connor on the bench and he becomes that sort of Ryan Baird type player that can play second row or back row, whether Farrell wants to use him there. But I, I, think, think, he did, Conan, I think he did that in the second half against, was it the Dragons? Um, yeah. Where he played in the second row for the, for the second half, which was a, a weird one, but Munster lost nothing in the scrum in that game. Yeah, but I mean, against the dragons, it's a, the, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's. I think that if we do see Coombs, it would be at the expense of. Um. Well, I I think the back row is going to be back to Josh van der Fleer, Doris, and Conan, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Um, yeah. To be honest, just I was a bit disappointed actually with with Doris at, at number eight. I thought that he's better suited to the role that they give the six in that yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where he played, where he was outstanding in November, like player the best series. player of the series, like 
unreal at the breakdown. I find his breakdown work when he's playing at number eight for some reason just isn't as effective for whatever reason. Last two games I've tracked in it. And I, I think at, at, in the sixth role, whew, unreal. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I think they will go back to that back row. And if they do that, then I think that the only way Coombs is going to see the 23 is at the expense of whoever's on whoever's in that uh, 20 slot on the bench. Either Omani um, or maybe Treadwell at, uh, will, will go 19. Yeah, but I don't see him going into the row, to be honest. Not yeah, I, I think it would be, it would, it would be surprised if he was... I think, I think if he's getting in, it's at 20 and it's going to be at the expense of probably Peter Omani, which again, you're losing... A that line out option off the bench lot. as well. Yeah. So, and I know there's people sitting here listening to this now going, you lose nothing when you lose Omani. You do. Um, you oh, by the way, do. Peter Omani's breakdown work against England for 60 minutes was outstandingly good. So tough, so efficient. Like I rate things on dominant cleanouts, uh, and then you've got guard actions and then, you know, attendances where you're just there. His dominant cleanouts in that game were superb. Unbelievable! One really unbelievable one in the the second half. Remember when Johnny Sexton got really knocked by Mario Atoji on a, on a on a box kick? Um, it was Peter Manny came around from the base of the, where that ball was kicked to secure that rock to prevent England from winning a breakdown turnover in a really good position. Uh, his breakdown work again is just really underrated, and it's just again it's really important. But for some you reason, don't, you don't, don't see it. That's the it, issue. It's not on ESPN stats, yeah. so people, people don't really rate it. So I think if you were to see Coombs, it would be at that expense. And I don't know. If and now, now that I'm talking about it, I'm just like, no, I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, we've been wrong before on this when we talked about, like, I remember there a couple of games ago, we were talking about who we'd see line out and it was a completely, well, not a completely different team, but there were a number of names we didn't mention. But I just think because there's still a championship to play for. And I like, we're in that horrible place where you're kind of, your result is still, you know, depending on another team losing, which is not a nice place to be. But... England love Ireland, so they, they will want to see us do well. They'll, they'll want think, to beat France for us. Want, do it for us. They'll want to they're see, play they, their championship, guys. You took the words <laughs> out of my mouth. Now that we're going to go and cover the championship now, next week onwards, I think they will do it for us, to be honest with you. Um, I've got to build a beef with some teams. Who are you going to pick? I'm going to pick like uh, the Cornish Pirates. Are they still yeah. a team? Jersey Reds, you're yeah, all yeah. fools, boy. Yeah, I'm just going to fucking Egypt, a lot of I'll go against the Do- Doncaster Knights if they're still going. Fuck them. Fuck Champions- Doncaster. <laughs> championship, championship fans listening to this going, what did we ever do to Ela? Catching strays in this podcast. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't know how we got to the championship, but I, yeah, I don't see Coombe starting to be or getting into 23 to be honest, just because there's still a championship to play for. Um, I think that Farrell is going to go heavy. Bonus point win is still the, well, it's the only priority, I think, heading into this final weekend. And, you know, teams, a lot of teams will say, like, you know, win the game first and see what happens. I think our bonus, I think our points difference is better than France's. If, if I don't know, if memory serves. Know, but if, the... if France win, they get an extra couple of bonus points. Oh, no, I know. Winning yeah. the Grand if, Slam. if France win, France win. I know that. Yeah. But they're two points oh, out yes. at the moment. Yeah. If they draw... And we win. I think our points difference is much better than France's, if that makes yeah. sense. But it's still a horrible play. So, like, I mean, bonus point win. It, like, it takes 
it's it's everything you can give it if that makes sense like you can't yeah. do anymore so I, I i think that teams i don't think we'll see a team saying oh we'll get the win first i think bonus point is the aim oh yeah for sure yeah and we'll get it off those scottish fuckers as well useless and then in terms of predictions who are we going for in this one i'm going for scotland <laughs> I'm going for Doncaster. <laughs> I think those Mars bar deep frying fools are going to lose with a bonus point. <laughs> no, I, th- I think Ireland will win. I think it'll be relatively comfortable as well. Are there any Scottish born um, players playing for Ireland? Because then they can be like, well, we didn't lose. Oh, just you like, you like him? <laughs> you like Ben Healy, do you? <laughs> oh, and wrap this up, please. Yeah. Actually, the only other one, we need to do the predictions for the Munster game. They're playing the Lions this weekend on Saturday. Hang on for Munster. I'm going to go with my beloved Munster as well. Okay, three Munster, three Ireland, and we'll try wrap Oh, by the there. way, before you finish up, last week I heard on the, the Irish coverage of, it was the aftermath, was it whatever coverage Jamie Easton was on? <laughs> oh, this is are you, going are you, to be good. Are you going to start another beef now here? <laughs> no. No, uh, but... He was asked about um, the setting up his own podcast. He he hates democracy. <laughs> Jamie Heaslip does, <laughs> but they they were asking about the triple crown, and he was just saying, <laughs> "Maybe it's the competitor in me, <laughs> but I don't really care about a triple crown." <laughs> it's like you're not a competitor; you're a fucking pundit. <laughs> Who gives a shit what you care about or not? I love a triple crown. Brings you a throwback to the 90s and the mid-2000s on the radio, Sullivan. I love it. Nostalgia. Zero zero crack Eddie, as he's referred to. Um, (laughs) Zero crack Eddie, as uh, Jerry Flannery refers to him. Right, we'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings, and there were lots of them this evening, and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, as it really helps. And be sure to share on social media and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear more or probably a lot less of based on tonight's one. Don't forget to send in your competition entries to provincialstateofmind at gmail.com with your favourite quote from the episode. Hope you have a good week. Your provincial team wins and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. Quote better be mine or you're not winning.